Hello, Heron. Hello, Tom. So it's been a couple of weeks since we last recorded this thing. I got a bunch of topics and listener-related questions. Do you have anything you wanted to start off with? Oh, I've got tons of shit, too. Very good. <laughs> I just got a, an email from somebody I went to high school with. Mm. They they just put out a some sort of annual book, you know, uh-huh. of the graduate. I went to, a, you know, an all-boys Catholic high Certainly. school. There were like... 30 people in my graduating class, you know, it was really kind of small. You've said some of their names in prior podcasts, but I can't actually remember any of them off the top of my head. Ah, yeah. Well, yeah. I, you know, it's, it's curious because, uh, anyway, I got an email from this guy because I had written something. Uh, that I got a notice that they were preparing this book. So, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted, you know, to put something in there. I didn't want to buy the book, but I figured I'd put my info in there anyway. They, so how did they track you down after your name change? I mean, they must have been in contact with you through the period of time of the name um, change and a variety of things. I, I don't remember exactly. I actually went to the trouble to make sure that they knew me, though. Hmm. So, I mean, I guess I did. Uh, I mean, I remember I made a trip out to the school once many, many years ago. Hmm. I don't know if it was before or after that, but somehow they... I mean, they still were calling me Dennis Horn, mm. but fine. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, in any case, uh, it was just um, really interesting to get this email. And then I, I actually talk, called the guy and talked to him. His name is Vic uh, Munoz. And, you know, and these guys are a bunch of old farts now. Mm. <laughs> you know, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, anyway, it was just kind of interesting. I, uh, this this Vic guy is is sort of taking it upon himself to try and organize some maybe a lunch or something because mm. uh, he he's been in contact with several of the people and I guess about ten of them or so altogether that he's aware of mm. and so uh, apparently sometime although he's going in for surgery <laughs> in a couple of days and so Very he's going to be be out of business for a while but once he gets back he's uh you know assuming he's still alive at his ripe old age uh you know perhaps we'll have lunch together with some of these people that that should be uh stressful <laughs> it's amazing actually i mean based on the based on the permutations of your life it's amazing that people such as this, are able to keep in contact with you, aside from the fact that if you've been there and probably given your details at some stage after you did your name change, yeah, then maybe. I mean, but it's still, it's an interesting. Well, like I say, heard. well, like I say, I got uh, an email informing me that they were going to publish this yearly book of mm-hmm. all the graduates from the school, and that mm-hmm. if I wanted to be included into it, all I had to do was put some information in there. So I did. And, uh, and I, and I told, and I wrote a little, that story about, I, I don't know if I ever said it here or not, but that, that, that experience, the Twilight Zone experience in the chapel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you yeah. said it a couple of yeah. times. Yeah. yeah, yeah, well, I wrote that up in, in the, <laughs> in the, uh, little blurb about what's been going on, you uh-huh. know. And anyway, so this Vic guy, called me and uh, anyway, you know we'll see i have no idea what's going to happen but the it was just thing a- about that story is it can be it can be taken in a folksy v- view or it can be taken in a twilight zone view and obviously if the if these guys have taken us in a folksy view then you know it probably appears to them to be quite charming and quite um what's the term what you mean that that little thing i wrote yes. about that story well, oh yeah it's an interesting guess. little story yeah. yeah it's a nice little story yeah yeah 
Yeah, they have no idea. Well, and I think, and I wrote in there, he, he sent me a, a copy of the page that this was on, so I mm-hmm. saw what it looked like. And it says in there that I'm now a Gendo monk and changed my name. <laughs> Very good. Of course, of course, probably they assume that Gendo is just some deeper form of Catholicism. And, you know, you- <laughs> yeah, I, it'd be interesting to see how many of them are still Catholics. <laughs> Yes. I mean... So uh, this is actually your motivation to go and, and spend time with these people is actually to see where they've turned up through their lives? Oh, no, it just, uh, you know, it would just be an interesting afternoon, I think. Certainly. You know, just compare notes, you know. Yeah. it's. I thought about it, you know, I'm thinking... It's so hard for me to walk into a situation without all my preconceived notions about how mm. superior I am and that that my life it isn't normal like all those yes. people who got married and had families and careers and stuff, you know. Yes. And um, so, you know, that that might keep me away if if I if I don't think I can get past that. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can, but mm. but. Um, it sort of bothers me that I've got that sort of attitude, but I guess I kind of need that attitude. If you're weird, then you kind of have to revel in it, <laughs> or you're in even bigger trouble. But you have these strange contradictions, like you like going to the VA, and you like spending time in, in, at the VA. When I like going to the VA? You described it previously. Oh, I said it's positive. really nice. For, yeah. Compare, I, let's, yeah, if you got to go somewhere because you're dying... <laughs> You know, that's as good as any place, I guess. Fair enough. <laughs> I wouldn't say I enjoy it. I've got to, I'm going to have to go down there again uh, sometime in the next few months just for my yearly checkup, you know? Certainly. Certainly. <laughs> so do you have another topic? Oh, I've got tons of topics. Okay, let's go through uh, them here. One of them, uh, I'm, I'm not going to mention the guy's name. Actually, I don't even know if I've ever mentioned his name before, but he's a guy who's... Uh, I've talked to many times on my podcasts, mm-hmm. and uh, a really intelligent, and he's young, he's in his late 20s, mm-hmm. <laughs> young. <laughs> I, think, I think I know who you're talking about, but anyway, continue on. Really? Well, um, turn the mic, well, no, it doesn't make any difference. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, Is he the same fellow who was talking about suicide? Um, you know, I just don't even want to get into okay. it. <laughs> okay. Anyway, continue on. Yeah. Um, but yes, because that turns out to be the topic. Uh-huh. Um, I, I got a message from him a few days ago and he's always been sort of on the edge of everything yeah. anyway, you know? Yeah. And, um, and he's there again. He's, uh, they turned his electricity off, but mm-hmm. he's, he's, uh, stealing it from somewhere next door or something yes. at the time being, but he's going to be homeless very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has no job, no money, no transportation. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just sad because the guy's very bright, very yeah, sensitive. Certainly. And, and, uh, you know, but he, he just, uh. Yeah, no, I saw his face in Skype recently, actually. As Skype does, it puts up the photographs. And I saw his image and I immediately thought back to the conversation that we had associated with suicide. Yeah. I guess yeah. my perspective is actually the times, it, I mean, we've talked previously about my experience at the Leicester YMCA. I mean, that's pretty well as close as I've come to homelessness. Yeah. But these are actually the times where you have vastly more freedom in some projection than you have in the kind of work a day, you know, going to the job, making the money. (laughs) In that period of time, when you are in your raw survival state, I mean, obviously, if you live in a capitalist society and you've actually sipped heavily on the capitalism tea periodically, the notion of being broke and homeless is probably like the worst possible case scenario. But certainly, I've always looked at that potential in that period as being a 
you know, a time where certainly I wouldn't consider checking out. But, I mean, you know, it's not everyone's choice. Yeah, well, yeah, that's that's the issue is how do you respond to those things? I've seriously considered suicide. Oh, um, two, maybe three times mm. in my life. And two of those times were involving moving. Mm. Yeah, no, you, you know? mentioned that, actually. Yeah, yeah. you know. And, um, you know, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and I and I doubt if I well you know I don't know I mean to me that suicide is is an option mm. if life isn't really the way you want it to be mm. and you don't see any prospects of it getting better then so, I mean it's just like playing poker you fold the hand you know well, except it's it's the ultimate folding of the hand I mean unless yeah. you unless you have some perspective of you know reincarnation or well, these no, kind of things yeah, you're, 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 you're well, it's, it's, the, it's the end of this before, game yes. <laughs> yeah for sure yeah. but I mean I think that's a like I say I would I, I actually hope that I have an opportunity to die by my own hand mm. I mean I would see that as the sort of ideal ending to life is if you get to a point where you're where it's just not any fun anymore yeah. and it's not going to get any better then uh, you know just drag it out no fuck it have a party, yeah. get all everybody together, and but I mean, you're talking about something that's very different to someone oh, who's yeah, in their yeah. late twenties, right? You're oh, talking oh, about no, some that's kind a, of yeah, physical that's deterioration no, no. No, or mental I'm, deterioration yeah, yeah, that is, is causing this. Yeah. yeah, no, this is vastly yeah. different. But again, I, I'm, I'm not sure it is. I mean, how is it that some people have the resilience and other people don't? But what you're talking about here is probably some degree of depression, where if the fellow outside of this country would have access to public health care where they would have, you would have access to mental health care. Yeah. Which would enable, so if, because I mean, this just sounds like extreme depression as opposed to perhaps fueled by economic circumstances, but still, you know, the underlying medical. Well, you can't separate though. Again, all this stuff all goes together. I mean, you can't really tease them apart. You know, Mm. you have to just sort of consider all these, Mm. these possibilities. Mm. I mean, but that's it. You know, People uh, talk about you know people self-made millionaires and stuff and Certainly. but I mean why is it that some people are you know uh, adventurous and other people are lazy I mean there's I, I I mean it's clear to me that there's a certain amount of genetics going on in all mm. this stuff people there's a sort of basic attitude towards life or something that or something like that that some part of that is something we're born with mm. you know and there's just yeah. m- maybe you can do something with it I don't know but. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I mean, that's the issue. How much of it is something that he can be talked out of, you know, and how much of it is some fundamental issue on, on, about who he is. And I, of course, I don't really know him well enough to know just exactly, you know, I mean, I couldn't really comment on it except. For periods of time, he had access to his family, right? His family has kind of been there at periods of time in his life. Um, not anymore. I don't know if they were or not. I don't recall that, but, uh. Okay. But he's pretty much on his own. But again, if I was in that situation, you know, I'd go to some church, you know, or someplace and throw myself on the mercy of them and tell them. The thing is, I think this guy has something to offer the world. Certainly. You know, I mean, I think, I think it would be good if he's, if he gets through this. Yeah. And learns whatever he needs to learn and, and gets on with whatever it is he has to contribute, you know. Um, and, and again, I just, I, it's been on my mind ever since then because I don't know if I'll ever, if I'm going to hear from him again. You know, mm. I mean, uh, that may have been it. Mm. Or, or maybe not, you know. Let's stop and restart the recorder for some degree of formality on this thing. Okay? And I'm going to cut this from the Stone 8 feed. Oh, okay. So I'm turning off my recorder now.
Interesting. Okay, so it wasn't the guy that I thought it was. Okay, interesting. I don't know what other advice I can provide to this heron. So. Well, there isn't any advice, I don't think. Yeah. There's uh, there's really nothing I can do. Uh, yeah. It's just uh, it just set me to thinking about what a fucked up world it is that that survival is is even an issue. Well, there needs to be there needs to be these kind of elements in a society. I think I've I've thought. Oftentimes, I mean, when I was younger, I was affected by suicide considerably more than I'm affected by it now. And certainly, when some people have died in my life, there's always been the question of, like, was it accidental or was it suicide, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I have thought about this, and my perspective is there are certain people in our society that are amazing cultural enigmas. I think of Kurt Cobain in this light, where, irrespective of whether or not they're you know, death was at their own hands. The amazing amount of, like, art energy that they produced in such a short period of time probably means that there may have been, like, defective kind of long-term elements there. I'm a strong believer, actually, for people to not have a bias against um, antipsychotic and antidepressive medication in these circumstances. You just no, need to work some with people someone. That, yeah, yeah. You just need to work with someone who is of the similar. Yeah, you know, and 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 it has to be the appropriate thing. Like Prozac yeah. is is yeah. a is a lifesaver for a small number of people, yeah. but for those people, it 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 makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So uh, yeah, I I don't have anything against that. And and again, I don't know him well enough to know really what's going on you know uh, but, but like I say i've been there yeah and i've been homeless yeah and uh but it, but i've never really been homeless i had somebody to take up the slack yeah. you know so when i moved to this country and various times in my general international moves i've had circumstances and in fact when we when my friend came and stayed for three weeks last year he said you came to this country with no one here and you were able to survive, and you were able to, like, get this house and do a wide variety of other things. Yeah. The ability to move internationally, in particular, and I had circumstances where, for example, my funds in Australia were cut off, once through accidentally losing a card, another time explicitly by a backer in Australia who just cut my funds. Like, literally, I had no money coming in, and I was living in the most expensive part of the US. So, you know, I've had experiences in my life where... I've yeah. had to build upon nothing and work yeah. really dramatic, dynamically and dramatically in terms of changing. But I think you're right. That does take a particular mindset. And these people are typically the, the folk that do, you know, do do migration in the way yeah. in which I have yeah. experienced it. And yeah, ultimately it takes a degree of tenacity that I don't think is part of the general public. I think it could be taught actively. I look at in particular, and we, talked historically associated with military structures but there are certain kind of military structures that do bring this kind of character out of people even from the general population yeah. so i don't think it's something that people are born with necessarily but it does well, take a particular yeah. kind of brutalization and realization and almost a kind of i don't know breaking of the original person into something that is very new and well defined well i keep talking about this emerging technology Certainly. of consciousness and yeah. i mean i don't think we're anywhere close to it yet but i mean i would imagine in the next few decades mm -hmm. that these will all be non-issues mm. you know that basically uh, if you don't like the way you're feeling you just change it you know another That's topic here yeah, i'm sorry what we're done another with another topic <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. I have a large list ahead of me, and we're going through in an orderly fashion. Yes, okay. Um, I've been reading um, 
the book Insanely Great by Stephen Levy. Have, mm. you ever, have you read that book? Yes, I have. I am so knocked out by it. Not because of apps. It's an older book, though. Oh, right? yeah, it's, yeah, it's a few years old, but it's, it's a more than really a few years old. Great. It's at least a decade old, isn't it? Well, yeah. Well, when you're my age, that's a few years. <laughs> <laughs> a decade is considerably more to you than it well, is to me. <laughs> still, in the scheme of books, it is, yes. Yeah, yeah. well, in any yeah. case, the, the thing that's so interesting is the first half of the book is really not about Macintosh at all. Certainly. It's about the history of computing. Yes. And uh, people, I mean, names I've heard, but I never really was clear on just what they did and, yeah. and when. And, so, and I never had really heard of Vannevar Bush before. Oh. And uh, what a revelation to find out about that guy, yeah. <laughs> you know, way back in 1945. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's just stunning. Yeah. And, and to, and to, and, and I also realizing that the Mac was a result of individual human beings. Clearly. You know, no company, yes. no nothing. Exactly. It was a, a bunch of individuals who had some ideas. And Steve Jobs is right up there with Vannevar and Douglas Engelbart because he shipped the fucking thing. Well, what's interesting is that this is, this is my narrative associated with these companies. I think yeah. of Apple as as tens of thousands of these kind of individuals. And actually, what Steve Jobs did was manage to gather and empower a number of these individuals sufficient that the stuff was produced. Yeah. He used a wide variety of methods, many of them I don't agree with. Well, on it doesn't a make any, like I say, he, the thing is, he, he put the thing exactly. here, it's here, yes. and everyone else had the idea and talked about it and tried yeah. and blah, 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 but he gave, he shipped it, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it was a complete fiasco, but exactly. here we are now, yeah. and every fucking computer in the world has Windows on them. Well, you know, it's just, them, at least. Yeah. well, yes. Yeah. Anyway, so I have it, in front of me a book, The Computer Entrepreneurs, Who's Making It Big? Oh, sorry. Who's Make It Big and How in America's Upstart yeah. Industry? Yeah. This book was written in 1982, <laughs> I think. Uh, 1984. It is a fascinating book because oh, it contains yeah. 20 or so individuals, none of whom, aside from Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, you'd ever know about. But they were doing amazing stuff back yeah. then, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, when I just, it just, it's just how he managed to get that out the door. Well, some of it, I mean, what it's you're appreciating stunning. through Stephen Levy's writing, and I'm a fan of Stephen Levy on a variety of topics. Yeah, I love I think, his writing. Yeah. It's just, a, I, I think it's a really fun read and so informative for me. Certainly. I really, you know. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I remember actually reading it probably more than a decade ago now. It might be yeah. anyway from the 90s. But I think, it, anyway. But uh, yeah, a lot of interesting computer history. I would certainly recommend Fire in the Valley that I see on a distant mm-hmm. shelf. And the more information you can get, the earlier the better. I watched through the week, actually, a documentary about Atari with my spiritual advisor associated with the rise and fall of Atari. And my spiritual advisor didn't realize that Wozniak and Jobs had actually built Blockout for Atari. Mm-hmm. I mean, these people were, you know, doing a variety of different things in Silicon Valley yeah. prior yeah. to Apple. Yeah. And yeah. it was almost kind of like a proving ground for a variety of technologists. And Stanford Research yeah, and Park and yeah. all all this stuff, yeah. you know. It's just yeah, fascinating story. You yeah. Know? But yeah. it hasn't ended. I mean I think what's fascinating no. about this era is actually <laughs> 
that people come here that have that particular passion and that particular interest. And then, you know, many of them are paid good salaries, a few of them aren't. And somehow through a percolation of all of this, you end up with, you know, the iPhone and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I mean, and tab. I think tablets are yeah. uh, are really well. You can pick a variety. Of well, yeah, yeah, but but I mean, yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's just stunning how far it's come, though. Yeah. I mean, it's just well. This is interesting because I've always had the perspective, particularly reading these early histories when I was in my early teens, that um, it could go. I mean, I now feel comfortable in this situation. I now feel that it's moved to points where I'd imagined it would have been maybe fifteen years ago. But I think actually what is interesting is what now processing is omnipresent. Now it's everywhere and everything. What does that mean for, you know, the next generation of technology? I mean, now yeah. it's yeah. just a given that these things are here. These networks are here. These, yeah. you know, processing is omnipresent in a variety well, of disappear. different devices. Well, disappear in, in terms into of the being, environment. Yeah, you know, being it's just, meaningfully yeah. talked about. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, it's it's going to become so pervasive that yeah. it's it's not even an issue anymore. But to I mean, observe. that's that's from a consumer's yeah. perspective, from a development, yeah. from a motivational perspective, in terms <clears throat> yeah. of how this thing is going to be used and what it's going to be used for. I mean, that's always been my interest. Mm, yeah. And you know, that I think yeah. is a very interesting proposition. See, I think, well, I don't know. We, we should talk about this, um, sometime <laughs> that, that I really think there, that there will come a time within say 40 or 50 years mm -hmm. where we will actually see the end of progress. Well, that's that, your, always been your, yeah, we've said, yeah, I know. And I don't think you're in agreement with that. No, because I think there's always, I mean, my perspective has been, and historically, when I lived in the UK, people would say to me that there was no intellectual development through the Dark Ages. And I always <laughs> looked at them somewhat quizzically, and they said, no, look, humans just sat around and said, I'm filthy. <laughs> I'm filthy too. We're both filthy. There's the king riding on a horse, which, funnily enough, I think Monty Python <laughs> built upon. But this was actually like an intellectual movement in the UK that through a period of time, i.e. the Dark Ages and a variety of other periods of time, when there was no, like, writing or these kind of things. And I've always looked at children's toys and the fact that children have been able to build things with their hands and have some kind of inventive creativity, and irrespective of whether or not the monks yeah, but we are beat it out of them pretty quickly. Well, you're saying that, but they're always miscreant children. and these. That's right, so, there are a few. You know, so my perspective is, if anything, humans are very good at creating stuff. We don't always know what we create, but we create stuff. And through that, I can't see Well but if if that stuff is created in the matrix yeah. then you have infinite ability to <laughs> to create stuff without changing anything. The problem is, and I've lamented this previously, the documentation of what's going on currently within technology companies is very poor, in particular the communication into popular culture. Yeah. So what you have is ongoing and amazing development, which is incredibly refined and incredibly detailed in the space which it occurs, but in no way translates to people who watch Netflix, unfortunately. And what concerns me as well, and I've been listening to tech podcasts recently, and a variety of tech podcasts, many of whom have set themselves up in positions where they're now self-sustaining, in terms of the fact they don't have to have a day job, their whole world is recording and producing podcasts, 
And the actual technical quality and the communication quality that these podcasts are producing, I didn't find particularly good and certainly didn't explain to me. One of the technologies we've talked about, and I've referred to someone I work with, is this notion of reactive programming, which basically enables you to write programs differently, and I've done this with Noble Ape, but enables you to kind of scale dramatically and also... Um, you know, as hardware and everything continues to develop, write code which will just keep improving based on this great scaling. Translating that to something that the layperson understands is very difficult, and it's not being done properly. I mean, we need yeah. we need Stephen Levy, and I've always yeah. said this to kind of yeah. jump back into the fray, create a new vernacular, a new yeah. means of inspiring people, and then talk about what's going on currently. And then it's you need new Steve done. Jobs to mm. popularize it. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because, I mean, in terms of the consumer electronics industry, I mean, Steve Jobs has created, like, new categories and new spaces within that. But there's a different kind of computation which ultimately feeds into the consumer electronics space where companies like Google and Netflix and, to a lesser extent, Facebook exist. And this, I think, is always translated very poorly to the general population. They just kind of expect things to work. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, the general population are a bunch of, you know, brain-damaged language monkeys. We're going to have to change that. That's yes. not going to work. And the Stone Ape drinking game continues on. <laughs> Another topic, Eric. My Well, I've said it before, but I just want to go, because as a result of reading Levy and everything, mm-hmm. I, I uh, remember again how I came upon my first computer, my Mac, and I've mm-hmm. never owned anything but a Mac. Certainly. And, and how weird it was because I'd, ne- I'd had one course in, uh, in basic in college, mm-hmm. uh, which was kind of interesting, but didn't really have anything to do with me, you know, mm. and I took that course and, you know, I wasn't interested in pursuing that or anything, I, you know, um, but, you know, I ended up with a Macintosh in my, on my desk one afternoon and, um, and I, within, honest to God, within like five minutes, I've never had anything to do with it, within five minutes, I turned it on and was using MacWrite. Hmm. And and I knew really within five minutes of turning that thing on that my life would never be the same again. So that here, this thing was going to be a part of my life. Certainly, here I am looking for the very particular listener that has gone through your notebooks because there are two notebooks that I recall, and I want to say that they were in the early eighties, probably prior to you touching this Mac, but potentially after that fact. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly clear of the dates, yeah. where you devise what a internal operating system for a robot would look like, and also where you devise, with and or logic, which I find particularly curious, elements of computation. Interesting, I'd love to see that. So, the thing that strikes <laughs> me about If you can find it, let me know what page or yeah, is notebook. I think yeah. I have it in reference notes, potentially, what I put in the Stone Ape podcast previously. Yeah, I'd like to know the page number. I'd love to take a look at that. But what strikes me, actually, and I suspect this relates to your reading of, um, you know, science, like popular science texts, because certainly through the early to mid-80s, there was a greater public consciousness associated with programming and computer literacy. And I think through that period of time, although clearly it's repressed now, you had a greater sense, actually, of the underlying architecture of computers, which really is quite fascinating. Interesting, yeah. Um, you know, it's hard. Yeah, I may have to go back and take a look at that stuff. Well, I would see. recommend yeah. folks who have, because I'm sure there are at least two or three folks yeah. in the Stone Age listenership that have been through the notebooks, perhaps more recently than I have, 
can go back and refer yeah. to those pages specifically. Well, I mean, I can see approximately where it is. Uh, yeah. But it would just be interesting to see where my head was at yeah. in 1984. Because interesting, know? I mean, some of it is garbled, but some of it is actually well, on Only point. some of it. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, only some of it. But some of it actually is on point, and it's really very curious because it gave me a sense, certainly, and I've got texts from the time, particularly children's books from the time, uh-huh. They go into immense detail associated with and or logic, but also programming and some aspects of robotics. Uh-huh. So I do see that writing in the context. Okay, of so stuff I was, was interested in that in. stuff. Yeah. Interesting, yeah, because I, I don't really have any memory of that right at this yeah. present moment. Yeah. But obviously, I mean, I, well, I've always, always, well, since I woke up anyway, since I was twenty-one, I've been interested in science. Mm. So, um, and I've been reading science news since back in that time. Well, that's what I attributed it to from our conversations, yeah. that yeah. perhaps science news had covered some aspect of processing or some aspect sure. of robotics yeah. through that period yeah. of time, and maybe you'd kind of expanded upon that in your notes, maybe just doodling. Or maybe I found a book somewhere yeah. or something, you know, who knows? But yeah, yeah, that that doesn't really surprise me that I would be experimenting with stuff like that. Mm. And not, but again, it's, boy, it's so hard to think back and get any kind of clarity on it. I haven't looked at those journals in a long time now. I should mm. probably go back and spend an hour <laughs> moving around in there. Yeah, I must have spent... I probably spent close to 20 hours going through them, and I think really? we found sections that we went back to and referred to. Yeah. In fact, there are probably two or three podcasts somewhere in the Stone sure. feed yeah. where we did actually do that quite formally, and I think yeah. I created condensed PDFs for listeners to go through, too. So no doubt some of the listeners yeah. have heard that and gone through that process. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's an interesting resource to have available. Yes. <laughs> Movies. Mm. <laughs> uh I, I don't think I've ever talked about this, or maybe I have. Uh, many, many years ago, I really have no idea. I must have been in my, well, see, that was 77. So I've been in like 77, 1977, mm-hmm. so early 30s or so. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine and I went out for lunch one afternoon, and just it was raining, and we were just killing time. It had nothing to do, and we decided to go to a movie. Mm. And uh, the nearest one, there was a place we could walk to, and there was a movie called The Phone Book. Mm. Or the tele the telephone book. Mm. D- did we ever talk about? No, this? we never did. Okay, yeah. So uh, it was a sort of s- soft core porn uh, movie. So it was part of the whole late seventies soft core porn in popular culture thing. I well, I really don't know. I had never had seen a movie. I mean, I'd seen uh, porn movies at you know, private houses and stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, Had you seen Deep Throat and the classics? I knew of it, but I, uh-huh. I never saw it. The Debbie Does series and these no, kind of things? No, I knew about, I mean, I've okay. heard of those things, okay. but I, I wasn't really into that. So, <laughs> in any case, uh, we weren't quite sure what we were getting involved with, but mm. we went in anyway and watched this thing called The Telephone Book. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Mm. It was and it had some animation mm. that was just incredible. Okay. It, it was just an amazing sort of – it's about a woman who gets an obscene phone call from this guy, but this guy is the master obscene phone caller. <laughs> she falls in love with him. Interesting. And they have this affair on the phone, and she's trying to get him to meet, but he won't. And, and Anyway, uh, it's all about you know phone sex. <laughs> 
and fantasies. And it's got a bunch of people in it that are really familiar as regular actors in big movies mm. much later. <laughs> there was you a know? period of time where porn became quite mainstream and it came, well, I mean, if you talk now, it's through, what's her name? Lovelace? Linda um, Lovelace. Linda Lovelace and these kind of actors. Yeah. That will kind of cross over porn mainstream. Yeah, and Christian yeah, crossover porn and Christians. Well, yeah, they became Christians in later life. <laughs> but yeah, it's an interesting period because I don't really have much understanding of that. I mean, some of the interesting, uh, we've talked about the film last summer, which I think is probably, I mean, it was an X rated film that, that got into the Academy Awards or had an X rated cut that didn't make the Academy Awards, but there was an R rated version as well. And that was in 69, but it wasn't really till Deep Throat and these kind of periods, films which were in the mid to late 70s. Yeah. That they it didn't got to get the, any Academy Awards, though. No, they didn't. <laughs> no, they didn't. But there was an interesting period where film became sufficiently experimental that it did yeah. kind of cross Well, this had domain. some outrageous animation in it, mm. where this woman, this giant woman, mm. uh, who who is many thousands of feet tall, mm. Uh, is squatting on the Empire State Building and masturbating with it. <laughs> so there's an image for Very it. Very good. <laughs> so it, it's. I highly recommend this movie. Does it exist? I mean, the thing that all, all I found it. Uh, that, oh, that's the thing is I. You know, I, I see movies. You know, mm-hmm. on uh, these download sites, and there it was, the telephone thing. And at first, I, I thought it was just the. The telephone or the book or something. And anyway, I didn't know. And I looked and I realized, no, this is it. This is that movie. So mm. I downloaded it. I haven't watched it again yet, but yeah. I intend to watch it soon. Well, to see if it <laughs> holds up to the test of time. I mean, that's yeah, a critical yeah. thing, right? Well, I scanned through a few things. That was how I noticed there were oh. all these people mm-hmm. in it that, that are quite well known now, mm. you know, but they're playing in this. Well, so this may, if there was a period when, because this is clearly a quite odd movie. It's not a porno movie at mm. all. You know, I mean, it, it's got a bunch of naked women in it and mm-hmm. stuff, but, but it's, it's, uh, it's hardly a porno movie. You know, it's, it's about interesting ideas and fantastic animation and, and a weird idea. And, and it's just, it's, it's a fascinating movie, or at least it was a fascinating movie. I don't know. I haven't. Well, give a review of it once you've watched yeah, it again. Yeah. 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 I will. Well, if I, yeah. If you get around to watching it. If I yeah. get around to watching it again. Yeah. Well, that's my intention. The thing is, I now have something like 600 movies yes. that are on my intention list. Yes. <laughs> you know, and it keeps, and I keep downloading new ones. So, you know. Yes. The Reconstruction of William Zero mm. is a new movie. I don't even know it's been released yet, but I found it online mm-hmm. and watched it. And uh, I just thought it was pretty well done. It's one of these things where a guy, um, duplicates himself so that he can have this thing replace him and he can take off. Mm. But then the guy, well, I'm not going to say anymore. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but, you do have this ability. Historically, Heronstone film reviews have also contained a number of spoilers that, uh, I mean, I, I recall recently you gave a review where one of the actors is killed at the end of the film and yeah. you reveal that in the description of the review. So I was, where was this on the, on the podcast? Yes, on the podcast. Okay. That wasn't a review. That was just me talking. Uh, well, anyway, you did recommend <laughs> it and you recommended people look at it. And then, and you, then I just spoiled the whole yeah, thing. Similarly, the Joneses, <laughs> you did a similar thing with the Joneses when you first talked about it. But anyway. Oh, well, I, yeah. Yeah. In any case, I'm not going to go on uh, Very good. with this one. 
Um, you know, I think we're, I'm just about out of, uh, out of ideas here. I guess we're going to have to resort to listening to you and your ideas now. Heaven forbid. <laughs> Heaven forbid. The first thing I wanted to talk about is actually the local community center. I've decided not to pay federal income tax this year and instead put my money into the community as a means of divesting myself from the industrial military and, complex. And that's legal? It well, is. If you, well, yeah, if you, I guess if you donate I have an enough money, you I have can an accountant, offset. And yeah, I okay, talked yeah. to my accountant about this, yeah, okay. and she confirmed that I can donate uh, tens of thousands of dollars to the local community quite yeah. comfortably before there is any issue associated with my federal income tax. Okay. And that tens of thousands of dollars then uh, is stuff you write off on income tax. Exactly. So, yeah, okay, right. Yeah, yeah. cool. So <laughs> the first charity that I looked at, well, there are various problems in the community that I'm exposed to quite <laughs> yeah, heavily. No shit. <laughs> because not just because I live here, but also because I am the vice president of a local community action group. Yeah. And interestingly enough, the last community action group meeting, which is the last one I can attend for a couple of months. You should buy a Mercedes Benz for the group. <laughs> well, interesting you know, you to, that. to patrol the neighborhood. Interesting you mention that. <laughs> People actually attended the meeting in order to meet me. And one of the women which, commented... In which meeting is this? This is the community action meeting. Oh, okay. In order to meet you yes. because of the flyer that went out. Well, or- not just that. That actually has been remarkably more successful than I had originally anticipated. But in addition to that, my use of Nextdoor, in particular, I posted a single stone ape to Nextdoor. And uh, one of the women... In fact, it's funny, actually, because looking around the room... The kind of craziest people that were part of the meeting that had kind of attended were also the people who were there to meet me at the end of it, which was always kind of curious. Like, basically, it was after Easter, and someone had bought some leftover Easter candy, and the woman who grabbed all the Easter candy and proceeded to eat it loudly was also the woman who was there to meet me, aside from another couple who were there to meet me as well. Ah, the, so, the joys of fame. Exactly. <laughs> and in fact, the woman, having proceeded to eat the Easter candy, made the point that this whole community action radio thing that I did, I think she confused Stone Ape podcast with my community action radio, or this was like, I used Stone Ape basically to enact community action, or at least describe the community. So she thought mm-hmm. this, you, your and my banter basically was a, an active <laughs> thing in the community. The... <laughs> Following through all of this is just the narrative that the local government is putting no money into the area. And at every opportunity, whenever money is asked for, you get basically a three-page email of excuses, which are all neatly formatted in a way that I think I'm proposing actually building an automata that just creates these excuses and then selling it to... Uh, <laughs> there you go. The sense, the yeah, that would be easy for you to do, Exactly. Too. Yeah, to yeah, say, look, a, I can yeah. actually reproduce automatically. Save you a lot response. of money. Exactly. Yeah. Millions of dollars, yeah. quite literally. Right, yeah, and you sell it to them for ninety nine ninety nine. Exactly. You know? yeah. 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 Anyway. <laughs> one of these points, which got me so incensed that I said... I, you know, Tom, I, I can't let that go. I mean, that's really a, a good fucking idea. <laughs> it's more than a good idea. Yeah. yeah it's, it, so, it's, 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 every, it ticks every box associated well, with it, social it satire. It can't and, lose. Exactly. I mean, it, it, especially if it actually does it, and, and it, it does it well. it can work 24 which, which hours a day. Pretty easy. It can send out these responses yeah, 24 yeah, hours yeah, a day. Yeah, and, and they'd be good yeah. responses exactly. that serve the purpose for what exactly. they want. And and they could test it and try it and realize once they're satisfied, they could just turn everything over to that. Yeah. 
and it probably wouldn't take you more than what a couple of weeks to write something like Less that. Less than that. Less than that. I mean, the response. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so a relatively clearly, simple thing. The right? circular responses, and they're so simply crafted. I think yeah. I could generate this kind of logic relatively quickly. Also, great social satire to actually. Well, again, illustrate. so it almost doesn't matter how it's taken. <laughs> you know, some people will buy it because they say, damn, this is going to save us a bunch of money. And other people will think it's just funny as hell that somebody's selling shit like that, well, you know, and it's great for everybody. You see, the funny thing is the, the, the element that I like here is the local news. Because the local news would eat this shit. Oh, up. yeah, yeah. Oh, they'll have an opinion. Everyone will have an opinion yes. about this, of course. Yes. <laughs> so coming very soon, ladies and gentlemen. I, I actually maintain... You need a software. snappy name for it. Well, though. historically, the software was called the Kant Generator, named after Immanuel Kant, because Immanuel <laughs> Kant was known for writing unintelligible philosophy, yeah. and the Kant Generator actually emulated Immanuel Kant's writings yeah. very swiftly. Yeah. yeah. For a small period of time in the mid well, mid-last decade, I maintain the Kant Generator. There's a program called uh, Mythbusters, mm-hmm. where two guys try a I've variety of yeah. urban myths. Yeah. One of the Mythbusters contacted me through the period of time that I maintained the Kant Generator, and um, we exchanged a few emails about how important this software was. At the time, it wrote... Do you, do you, familiar, do you remember the show Baywatch, which was basically well, a bunch you, of bikini-clad yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, ex-playboy models yeah, right, who, yeah, yeah. who yeah, playmate, yeah. what have you. So yeah. anyway, there was a Baywatch script generator. There was a soap opera <laughs> generator. There were a variety of these things that generated scripts. It's funny you mention this, actually, in this context, because I only today downloaded Final Draft, which is a package for creating both television and film scripts. Yeah. And I think, yes, one could link these things, although I am going to use Final Draft more traditionally in the near future to just see, you know, how this form can be created. But to automate the creation of this form, yeah, many, many possible avenues. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting idea that... that- <laughs> that that could be actually serviceable to some people. I actually I'd charge a lot of money for that. Well, that's where it gets very interesting. And then and then have it a free version for people who actually get how funny this is. <laughs> one of the one of the problems that the community has currently is the city of San Jose has basically blocked internet access for students. Here we're talking about grade school Students even up in San high Jose has yeah. done what? So the computers that connect to the internet within the schools and the community centers are tended to by San Jose City Council. And the bureaucrats within San Jose City Council, I've only had exposure to this through the local community center. So I went to actually prior to even going to the action meeting this month, I received an email indicating that the communication with the city of San Jose, with one of these emails attached to this three pages of just junk writing, <laughs> excuses, circular excuses, this is why we're not going to do anything, has meant that students and children going to the local community centres have not had access to internet for more than a month. I said... In and, they d- and they did, but then why not? I mean, because because they apparently... Put passwords on them or something who, that they who don't... Who the ha- fuck knows, but apparently only someone from San Jose City Council bureaucracy can come and tend to these computers and give the kids the internet again. So in response to this email, I said, I will pay for commercial internet for the local community centre and whatever else 
is needed, find me a charity that'll take my money to do this purpose. Yeah. And the local Catholic charity was the first snappiest one to come back to me and say, Barbele, it's on. <laughs> the only problem cool. was, through this malaise, it got back to the city, and the city demanded that they come and repair the computers, and for the past two weeks, there's been some nonsense associated with how the city still needs to get involved. Every time I've had communication with these people, I've said, <laughs> I'm going to pay for commercial internet access. Let's organise that. And typically, about 30% of the folks that I speak to, and these are both Catholic charity folk and, yeah. you know, community leader folk, no one can seem to resolve the fact that, I mean, my perspective is, prior to going to Australia, I'm going to Australia in mid-May, I just need to go back to the local community centre organise Comcast or whoever to come out and create a rebel internet connection, which no doubt will cause the city all kinds of stress, but it will actually give children internet access once again. Yeah, yeah. It is astonishing. Well, I think uh, I think you're a brave soul. I, I think you better think very carefully about how you proceed. Yes. Uh, and, and don't be surprised at the results that you well, get. Well, I guess my perspective has always been, does this... Does this thing which you get when you ride a bike where you basically build up enough momentum to just keep on going on if you're on the flat but yeah. then the mechanical inertia and the grinding of what have you will slow you down so you just apply just enough pedal power to keep yeah. going at the same right. speed right and this is the perspective that i have because you could easily be thrown into the cogs of this machine and just chewed up and yeah yeah out. no you want to just keep, uh yeah. yeah move measured uh slowly one step at a time push a little here a little there and see what happens and then respond to it yeah i love the idea so we've got a variety of listener questions here heron and some of them are actually like introductory questions that we previously covered in stone Age. some of our new listeners are going through the entire archive really i say running the gauntlet i hope you guys are taking notes you know and yes. especially yeah if you find something helpful you know like really good yes. uh, it would be very helpful for us to know that so that we can do a best of sometime well what's interesting here is actually the topics that i've chosen to air this evening are things where your perspective has changed over our discussion <laughs> and i think they're particularly yeah. interesting topics which is yeah. one of the reasons that i'm re-asking a couple of these topics yeah the yeah. first question and this is interesting because this is also a crossover thing the first question comes from James Lincoln. Now, James Lincoln, if you take your mind back a few months ago when we did the Model Rail Radio Show 100, I l not even really lamented, but I commented that we had a house guest that stayed for an extra day. Yeah. So even though we were exhausted, we had this house guest who we had to look after. That house guest was James Lincoln. James oh. Lincoln listened to that particular episode and apologised profusely for overstaying. And I said, look, my wife had pneumonia, I was exhausted... It was kind of overstaying a little bit, but yeah. basically the narrative is more a count of... Yeah, we got over it. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, James Lincoln asks, associated with the role of vision, i.e. eyesight, uh -huh. in the language machine. The role of vision? Yeah, I'm looking at it. I mean, I, I, I saw those responses. Mm -hmm. um, when we've talked about this historically, you've talked about... And I don't even really uh, necessarily want to prep you for this because you may come uh, up with completely different perspectives. Yeah. But, I mean, in terms of what you see, in terms of the ability of what you see... And we've talked about this historically also with PTSD, people that go to war. 
see a bunch of shit which in no way maps onto <laughs> that you the language that they've been... Yeah. Well, it doesn't map onto any of the language that they've been given associated with either why they're there or yeah. what is going on. They just see a bunch of shit that doesn't map onto... Yeah. So, yeah, it doesn't map on anything yeah. in their experience either. I mean, that, yeah. Well, movies, I think in some sense... Well, anyway, go on. So, in terms of the... You know, language monkey narrative in terms of the language machine narrative. How does the role of vision map onto that? Well, you know, there's been all sorts of uh, studies uh, about people who were born blind and then gained vision later in life. Mm. Uh, And it takes them months and months to learn how to see because... Uh, once they regain, I mean, because they don't have any language for it. So it doesn't get parsed mm. into meaningful things or just blobs of color and shit. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's just totally meaningless crap to someone like that. But it, after a couple of months and talking, they begin to sort it out. And, uh, but we, most of us, of course, have grown up in, in a situation quite different than that. And we think vision is some primary thing, and it's really not. It's, it's something we learned and something we've mapped out with language. Mm. So, um, that's my sense of it. I don't know what else to say. I mean, th- there's just a million places you can go with that, and maybe you can think of some. Well, returning to this war idea, and returning to the effects of war and in particular, the ability for these kind of experiences, and you're right, a profound film, you know, might have that experience, or travelling is a really good way of, uh, you know, making a substantial impact on your language machine. The whole nature of doing things where when you return to where you were physically, at least previously, you feel like you are different, is an interesting description, and I think it's... Your perspective is very much the two thinkers that you've referred to. The history of, um, like, the internal voice being, you know, some spirit or deity. Well, you're talking about Julian James? Julian James. Yeah. And also Korpchipsky, obviously. Yeah. I mean, your impact with yeah. both of these thinkers, or at least the impact these thinkers have had on you, colour, for a better pun, your perspective on vision... And the thing that has always interested me about vision, or one of the many things that has interested me about vision, is the fact that of a certain number of folk, there are certain things that can be seen that will dramatically change their story, irrespective of what their story was previously. Really? Say that again? So think, for example, associated with seeing an atomic bomb. Like being there and seeing an atomic blast. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The first guys. Who, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that must have changed things. Exactly. It did actually for or most. Similarly, or similarly, when the guy went, yeah. went to the you know in orbit around the Earth. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Or psychedelics. I mean, yeah, the early yeah, that changed. Yeah, psychedelics. It was not just vision. Clearly, but vision is a large is, part. Is of a big yeah. part of it. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, these things have the ability to potentially reprogram. Or uh, at least yeah. realign the language. Something effect. so far out yeah. of, the, of the norm that it, it just can't be accom- accommodated. Certainly. Somehow. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's, I think that that's really what's needed. And in fact, yeah, understanding all this shit I talk about is sort of meaningless. <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> yeah, I know. The voice in my head isn't me. It's my language machine, blah, blah, blah. And a lot of people understand that, but they, but like I said, there's something different happens when you get it, whatever mm. the hell that means. Mm. You know, yeah, there's something beyond the mere intellectual understanding of the concept. Certainly. But that's hard to talk about. Well, the problem is that we don't have language for things like that. <laughs> well, enough. not yet. Maybe yeah. that's, like I say, maybe that's what we got to do. That's our job is mm. to figure out how can we talk about these things. Mm. Because clearly the ways we've had didn't work very well. Well, they got us here. Mm. But, uh, well, again, that, that analogy to electricity is perfect. I think it's a damn good analogy and a very encouraging one. Mm. Uh, you know, in 1800, electricity was pretty fucking mysterious. Well, it's still pretty fucking mysterious, but now we've got an iPad. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's, um, we just need to figure out how to talk about this shit and we, and we're working on that. Yeah. I, I, that's really what I see a large part of what my job is, is trying to figure out just how to talk about this stuff. What I would consider a kind of lowball question, but one that was asked anyway, and I think could create some interesting exploration, <laughs> related to the role of the voice in the head post-Gendo. Yeah. Like, the question was phrased associated with whether the voice in your head becomes more you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that I thought was, yeah. I'm just kind of throwing Well, I understand out. what you, I mean, yeah. yeah, I get that too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that struck me as a really good question. Uh, because that, that's certainly not the way I, I, I would put it. Certainly. What I would say is, um, and it really is, it's waking up isn't even quite the right term. I mean, it's, it's okay, but, uh, this idea of breaking the identification with the voice mm. is, is once you really get that that voice isn't I, that I'm not doing that, that that's being generated for me by my language machine, that that's the game right there. Mm. And once you get that, and so the voice doesn't become more you. The voice is just your fucking language machine. But but you have a very different relationship with that language machine. You can begin to reprogram it if you choose to. Hmm. If you find that it often comes up, you know, it's like an autopilot on an airplane. If your autopilot keeps steering you into the mountain, you better change your fucking autopilot, you know, mm. and, and get if a you better have that opportunity. If you, well, yeah, you know, you want to, you want an autopilot that actually works. And if it works good, then you can go back, you know, in the back of the cabin with the stewardess and let the, um, autopilot take care of the airplane. Great. Mm. You know, and you only have to show up if something happens that the autopilot can't deal with. Yes. And that's sort of the way I look at my language machine now, is that I've reprogrammed it sufficiently so where it doesn't really get me in the kinds of problems it did before. And for most things, it works okay. And um, and there are places where it still malfunctions and I have to show up and deal with it. But uh, it's a. I've actually significantly reprogrammed it, or at least programmed sort of out points at it. When something's when I'm sufficiently disturbed about something, my my first response is to check my language machine and see if it needs some attention. Mm. And that usually solves whatever problem has appeared. And so in, in the meantime, I'm you know doing yoga or. <laughs> exercising or staring at the wall or, yes. or doing something, you know. So the language machine, the voice doesn't become more me. It's just, it's still just a language machine, but it's a much more serviceable tool now than it was before. And it, like I say, it doesn't get me into nearly the amount of turmoil that it used to. So Connor Sites Bowen, 
I'd like to welcome him back. I mean, he's been... Hello, Connor. He's been on Facebook periodically, but this is a good contribution to the Stone Age discussion. Asks, what you know about role-playing games? Um, I mean, that's... Your it's a broad really, category. I yes. played all the mist really role playing. Your your audio keeps dropping out. So oh, it's really? like you're not actually talking and then you start talking. Mm. Again. When you talk about role playing games, you're talking primarily about computer role playing games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've never played any other one. You know, but I but the idea strikes me though. I mean, I've had the idea for quite a time to do an agent of evolution game that's played online but also played in the real world. Hmm. You know, where, where, where the game is actually, well, and Gendo could be part of that too. I mean, your Gendo pin, you know, I mean, you could be identified in public as being a game player, you know. So I think what Connor is talking about here, or historically, and certainly I've had communication with Connor, unfortunately he emails me usually through periods of time where, for whatever reason, I'm just not checking email on a regular basis, or my cat's died, or something like that. But, um, he's, talking i think here about what are now called pen and paper role-playing games which mm. are considerably more cerebral and require people to you know get together and have conversations and these kind of things the thing that interests me about pen paper role-playing games is actually i and i've talked about this on stone Age periodically i actually think a large part of the general existence in the broader society is an extension of role-playing I mean, I think the nature, if you look at yourself <laughs> as being, Tom at work is actually a role that I'm playing. Sure, yeah, yeah, these are our stories. Yeah, yeah My survival story. in yeah. terms of within yeah. the broader we, There's a bunch system. of them, there's Tom the husband, exactly. there's Tom the, yeah. the co-worker, yeah. and yeah. Tom the boss, yeah. and Tom, yeah, all, all, a bunch of Toms. Um, believe me, I find dragons and skeletons and a variety of other miscreant <laughs> creatures through my wanderings in these various roles. The thing that interests me about role-playing, actually, is recently I've been doing a series of job interviews. I use role-playing extensively when I do job interviews, primarily to get to psychological, like, pain points in the people that I'm interviewing. Because what I want to do is ultimately put them in a position where they have to find... Not a technical solution. Oftentimes it's like an interpersonal solution to a variety of problems that, you know, one finds working in tech in the kind of day to day. And that very much is role playing as well. Like, you know, they have multiple people in this environment that they can talk to. And I play the role of various people, giving them feedback and these kind of things. And I think for me, at least, and maybe Connor is of this, you know, generational mindset as well. Role-playing was such an early stages, I mean, really akin to early mathematics, early understanding of the biological sciences. I mean, role-playing was there amongst that aspect of my intellectual development, that it's something that I can return to relatively fluidly, and it's something that I use pretty consistently, as I say, through my professional and personal life. So the notion of Gendo, the role-playing game, in terms of this kind of pen-paper existence simulation environment thing in the in the real world, uh, in the world where you can poke someone in, in the squish, eye. Squish, yes. yes. <laughs> in this environment is actually, I think, probably quite. And what strikes me, we really haven't talked too much about this associated with Est, but my understanding associated with Est is part of that is programming, but part of that is also role playing on a kind of different level, maybe even the same level as what I'm describing. Hmm. So I, I never thought these, about it that way. Yeah, these, I've never really yeah. been into the role-playing game, so... Well, role-playing no, yeah, games I don't is know a much about it. You can see it in terms of just, like, a bunch of sweaty nerds getting together around a table, sometimes in public, sometimes, you know, in someone's basement. Yeah. 
<laughs> that in and of itself creates, and frankly, aside from when my friend Alex came to stay, I haven't had any real connection. I've got a wide variety. I mean, probably, you know, three bookshelves in front of me at various times. A large part of that actually comes from our listener, Rich Murphy, who dropped off a bookshelf worth of uh, his stuff when he realized that I had a historical interest in this kind of stuff as well. So I've been used as a dumping ground for various people's collections <laughs> uh, over the years too. I mean, some of it I pay for it too. But it is an interesting perspective, this whole notion of using language, using, I don't know. I mean, it it is an interesting um, kind of counterbalance to all this heavy I, me, this is who I am kind of thing to actually acknowledge that actually no that thing just doesn't exist it's just a variety of roles that <laughs> yeah. you're you yeah. know interacting yeah. oh it's with. it's it's yeah. a change it's a different civilization it's it's the difference between the old world and, and whatever world is coming i hope yeah. uh, one of the interesting things that came through bob mottram's development with noble ape is that that is explicitly with a noble ape as well that the ape exists not as a just a simulation of itself but a simulation of other entities that it interacts with. It on reflects a basis. all those exactly. other ones. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's a role playing idea as well. Ah, so yeah. I think what's interesting here, and look, I shudder at how the role playing community is represented in popular culture. I think what's interesting, <laughs> yeah. interesting through this is actually the kind Is of, there still an active role playing? Oh, believe me. In fact, like the, that? the interesting I mean, thing is that I periodically go into these stores of which there are maybe three or four in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I will put typically about $120 into them every time I go into one, just to make sure that they still exist. I mean, I have a a strong... It's almost like you go into a church and you give some money, you know, or a (laughs) temple and you give some money, or these kind of things, because I think these are the kind of intellectual... You know, this kind of miscreants needs to be there for every generation to at least dip their toe into. Yeah. And certainly, I mean, my, my current manager... If, wait, why, why is it important that it's not online? Uh, online is there. The difference between online, actually, is that the quality of the experience is... There is an interesting thing associated with stuff that takes up space. Well, yeah, like the, the car... Well, like people are using cards and, the, well, and those little the avatars The ability, the ability to yeah. take a book off the shelf the problem with the games is once you've played the electronic versions is once you've played through them the very few of them are now designed to be replayed and replayed well and that's just that, whose fault is that that's a design problem i, yeah. would, I would not but actually what it's actually about capitalism here and fundamentally well that what too is a circumstance yeah. <laughs> where people are shelling out 60 bucks every two months to or yeah. typically you know 60 yeah. bucks every three weeks it's funny actually because a couple of my co-workers and these are people that are earning you know good money they they lead a wonderful life thanks to my employer spend a vast quantity of their time in these environments i mean that is ultimately what got me out and this is something i learned when i was 13 got me out of role playing and these environments was i realized that they were just huge time sucks <laughs> and actually yeah. i could do it i mean producing podcasts for example and these kind of things were, you know, time sucks and, uh, you yeah, know, but you have and all something kind of there. You know? Well, what's yeah. interesting actually is it, yeah, once you come to that realization, it's very difficult to go back to it. Although when my friend Alex was here, I devoted probably, when well, the main thing actually was to demonstrate it for my spiritual advisor. Yeah. Because my spiritual advisor didn't really have a sense of this. I mean, her friends were 
like, you know, Grateful Dead people. And, you know, yeah. I don't need to draw diagrams associated with that whole mindset. Again, <laughs> maybe just fantasy role-playing in a different yeah. environment. Well, you know, I, I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds of hours I spent with the Mist franchise. So, uh, yes. you know. <laughs> Did you ever replay them? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just one. Well, I mess around. Uh, yeah. Not, I mean, not really. I mean, I, it was, I mean, I was split in, in all the time I was doing it. I knew, I, I, all, all the, during the time I thought, what a huge fucking waste of time this is. <laughs> yeah. But I just couldn't help myself, you yeah. know? I mean, certainly in the past 20 years, I've devoted, and again, these are games that I can go back to and replay. I have, a couple of strategic war games that are part of the Total War series for those listening in, which enable you to enact a variety of historical battles and actually yeah. change up a variety of the parameters. I mean, probably once every two months I'll boot that up and create some battle with, you know, elaborately overwhelming <laughs> odds and see if I can get out of those circumstances. But yeah, it's not something that I would play continuously. <laughs> Right, it's just what a fucking crazy world we live in, man, where we've got all these options for what we call reality. Yeah. H.G. <laughs> Wells, actually, although it was prior in Germany, but H.G. Wells wrote a book called Little Wars about 120 years ago, maybe 115, that laid out how you could create these kind of battles at the time, I think, with toy soldiers and matchsticks. But, you know, this part, this again, in military colleges, you know, back to the 18th century, they had this notion of kind of creating battles and refighting battles with kind of strategic odds. Yeah. I don't think they explicitly used dice, but they certainly had people kind of watching over and saying what way things went and, you know, yeah. various randomization parameters through that. And obviously, you know, dice games have been omnipresent for, I mean, there are Roman dice that they yeah. found, so, yeah. Through our discussion in recent recordings, a topic that I have returned to periodically is that certainly, and of a wide variety of listeners are behind me in this, even to the point where I've backed away from this topic, but the listeners still want me to make it on a periodic basis, uh, this notion of you producing something other than Stone Ape, but something that people can consume either as part of, you know, some kind of, I don't know, workshopping Gendo, or at least moving yourself towards workshopping yeah. Gendo. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's where I'm headed, of course. Yeah. So, through probably the past two weeks, someone called Casey Neerstadt, who you may never have heard of, has started doing great name video. Amazing name, really interesting fellow as well. Casey Neerstadt, I think, is thirty-four now. About ten years ago, he created a short video associated with how the iPod battery didn't last long enough, and Apple should replace them, but in fact tried to sell you a new iPod if you ever contacted Apple. It featured, I think, a NWA track, actually, Express Yourself, or at least the instrumental from that. And it was prior to YouTube, but it went viral. He, from that, he developed a series of short video clips, including a, a probably a five to ten minute long documentary that chronicled him and his brother Van and his trip from New York City to Florida, which I think is one of the best videos I've ever seen, but was pulled off YouTube for a variety of reasons. He now is doing a daily video blog, which I think is motivational more than anything. And from this, I have recorded, I think now, 12 
podcasts. And I'm going to probably within the next few days launch a daily podcast of length two to seven minutes, touching on a variety of topics, none of which have been aired previously on Stone Ape. And my intention is to see if there is a group of listeners who would listen to two to seven minutes a day, hmm. but wouldn't listen to this longer form recording. And part of that is also associated with getting a new domain name and just establishing this thing as an entity and seeing yeah. how it goes. Yeah. Uh, with the view that I will need to have pre-recorded probably at least 15 with the view that I'm going to Australia and won't be recording over the time. Yeah. Australia, yeah. You want to get a, yeah. You want to know you can actually sustain this thing. Yeah. yeah. But it's an interesting experiment because. Yeah. I don't know where it will go, but I'm willing to put my foot in the toe in the water. Yeah, it's an interesting idea. Seven minutes is your top or or whatever. I've recorded a series of them. Most of them are between two and a half and and six and a half minutes. So they're in that kind of front. The last time I did something like this of this scale, it was model rail radio. And we know how that turned out. So I'm also, when I get back from Australia, going to get a publicist as well. So I'm thinking initially this is a good opportunity for folks who, you know, are interested in this format or interested at least in something that's motivational to do something similar. Casey Neostat's based in New York. He lives a life of just both extreme. He has an extreme work ethic. He works at least six days solidly a week. He has a small team behind him. He worked for HBO producing short documentaries for a period of time with his brother. His brother no longer appears in any of his videos. It's not clear what's happened to his brother. Uh, but he now does this daily, again, in the kind of six-minute framing. Yeah. That is com- becoming slightly cliched. Because of the nature of his work, most of it's going to be in New York City. Most of it's going to be associated with him either in his office or at home or running or cycling or doing something. Well, it's about him. Yeah. And his perception. He takes question and answer topics. He has groups of fans that are so loyal that they'll camp outside his building just to appear in his vlogs. <laughs> he has half a million subscribers on YouTube, of which wow. probably a fifth of those are watching his daily blogs religiously. I'm re- not really watching them religiously. I try to get them when I get them. Sometimes yeah. I watch them. T- no, that's pretty or, impressive, yeah. though. Some guy yeah. uh, doing this six days a week. So. Yeah. So I recorded a few video podcasts to see if I could do a talking head thing, and the thing that struck me from those was that my face didn't move through certain periods of time, and it just looked a little curious to me. <laughs> Do you think it's really necessary that there be a face? Couldn't there just be some For me, it's just interesting audio. grass? Yeah, well, that's what be. I'm thinking yeah. is, why can't it just be audio? Yeah, well, for me, it's just going to be audio. Yeah, and then something you have to put something there for them to look at, you know, but it could be well, any No, graphic. actually, I mean, the, the whole nature of what a podcast is for me, at least, is audio. With oh, so you're not even talking about using YouTube. I'm not using YouTube. Oh, okay. I might right. put images yeah. to certain ones based on, yeah. you know, fan it, But favorites. his stuff is, is... It's all YouTube. It's all visual. Yeah, yeah. And he uses a lot of techniques, like he's, he'll set up a variety of cameras and do um, time delay shoots. So he's got a lot of sunrises, sunsets, light yeah. changes, movement. And that's like his. So he's really producing these. Oh yeah, things. he's putting a he's lot. He's a professional. Effort. He's a consummate yeah. professional, yeah. and it's yeah. his job. I mean, yeah. this is what he does. Yeah. Right, I got it. So yeah, I found that kind of inspiration. I've always liked his stuff. I've never really been sure. He's a bit like the Beatles because he was working with his brother for so long. I wasn't sure what was his stuff and what was his brother's stuff. But now he's doing solo stuff. It's very clear what his stuff was. It's like you know, yeah. you can actually hear. And I think he's particularly inspirational because he's what about four years younger than me. And his his arc 
to a certain extent, was similar to the early part of my arc, in particular, you know, the, the interactions he had in New York. But he was able to continue that arc on considerably better than I certainly was through that period of time. Yeah. Although he was really doing it kind of three, four years after I was doing it in New York. But it's an interesting perspective that it, it, it I think, and certainly what his young fans seem to be getting through this is a series of, like, elements that are important to them. It, his favourite book of all time is the autobiography of Malcolm X. And I think that speaks mm. volumes in terms of my own thinking as well. So yeah, I like that book a lot. Yes. Myself. <laughs> yes. In a similar vein, I've also been looking at The Mushroom Boy recently, and I've been reworking that in the late evening. Work has thrown up a series of curveballs in the late evening that's meant for at least the past few days, at least, I've been working up until midnight. Although, I've, ba- <laughs> I've said to my co-workers, in fact, I'm... I'm in my interaction with my professional life, there have been circumstances where I've had to work till after midnight, but now I have a degree of seniority, in particular the people around me are all, like, they haven't been at Netflix for the length of time that I've been at Netflix, that I make a habit of saying, let's go to sleep, let's wake up, let's deal with this in the morning, which yeah. is not a cultural thing, or it's not historically been a cultural thing on the things I've worked on at yeah. Netflix, but it gives you so much social kind... <laughs> In terms of the people that you work with. Because none of this stuff is really, like, no one's getting killed through this, you yeah, know? Yeah. So... Um, we can do it tomorrow. Exactly. <laughs> Which has put me up in front of a computer in the late evening with a degree of rapidity, which has enabled me to work on The Mushroom Boy late in the evening. And what I'm doing currently is adding Ape Script to The Mushroom Boy, but also adding a huge amount of additional work into Noble Ape. Which is... Folks may remember, they may not... There are three entities that I have kind of cultivated in open source. One is Noble Ape. One is a package called Noble Warfare, which was built on Noble Ape, but in fact goes back to some of the stuff that we were talking about associated with wargaming, simulation, role-playing, etc. Then there is this Mushroom Boy thing, which relates to a kid who develops a dirty bomb and has to get away from a variety of folk, but does it in a cityscape. And the game is really the cityscape environment with this agent that the player plays trying to get away from all these FBI agents and police and members of the general public and what have you. That's what I've been working on recently. I put the audio description of the Mushroom Boy that I gave on Stone Ape, including your your patented interruption techniques, uh, in the open source source code. So that's also available for folks that download the source code. But yeah, I think this is a project that I need to return to and work on periodically just till it reaches a kind of critical mass. My perspective is... To have two or three of these projects, well, probably I have half a dozen of these projects now, in a state of maturity means that when this publicist starts working, there's going to be a lot of stuff for them to do. Um, and I'm kind of making sure that everything kind of moves up to that level of maturity before this PR thing starts. I wanted to return to a, well, a heron-favoured topic, one of my favourite topics, and also one that is occasionally referenced by fans. And that is associated with land races and also various methods to use to distill cannabinoids and all this kind of legal psychedelic discussion that we've had periodically. About probably more than three, it's got to be more than three months ago because it was, I think, I think it was the start of January. I got a cannabis card and I got a cannabis card based on some research that I was interested in doing associated with land race strains. 
I've come to a point of maturity associated with that, and I wanted to kind of pass on my findings to the Stone Ape listeners, because I think this is something that's important as the US as a country, and a number of particularly English-speaking countries as a whole, European countries, what have you, move from, I don't know, decriminalization, medical cannabis, what have you, into legalization. And... I wanted to just discuss my experiences in that light. The laws as you find them currently in the US are all very contradictory, and they're particularly contradictory in the medical states. There is a fellow in Nevada who I've been following. I'm going to be in Nevada in May, and I want to actually meet this guy, because I think he's a seminal fellow in Nevada, and he also kind of catalogues a lot of these paradoxes. He operated a dispensary through to, I think, about 2010, maybe 2011, when he was federally raided. And the phenomena associated with the federal raids is just basically associated with providing a level of discomfort to people that would produce medicinal cannabis and actually give them to people. It's been used in California. To a lesser extent, it's been used in Colorado and Washington State, but it's been. I think they've pretty... called that off now, though, haven't they? Well, it seems to me I read somewhere that that they decided they were going to stop doing that. The federal government, yeah. particularly through this election season, because they don't know whether a Democrat or a Republican is going to come into place, is actually backing away from the Obama doctrine, which was never truly implemented. There were more raids through Obama than there were through Bush. <laughs> so this whole narrative is still very much in a yeah. turbulent kind yeah. of warlike t- period That's in U.S. Insane. culture. Yeah, And in parallel to this, even some of the more lackadaisical laws in Europe are being reversed, and it's still in complete flux. Yeah, yeah. I purchased recently... And this Damn is language book, monkeys. This is a book I will recommend, even though I haven't always been particularly positive about Jorge Cervantes's writings whose name I think is William Van Patten from memory. It may not be William, it may be... I don't think it's George Van Patten. I'm pretty sure it's William Van Patten. But he goes by the pen name Jorge Cervantes. Early connection with High Times magazine, a lot of misinformation, just generally bad growing tips. But he has produced a Bible which is about 400 pages that you can buy for 30 bucks on Amazon. It is an interesting tome, and I think for those who are inclined, it's, you know, it's pretty well mid-range of the stuff that I have read historically, and it brings a lot of the discussion up to date. He is a strong advocate for, as a number of folks are, that because the whole legal status associated with seeds is, like, not defined anywhere, no one has, none of the legislation in any of the states, including the legal states, have defined what cannabis seeds are. (laughs) And this is one of these curiosities that you are in some legal limbo if you want to acquire, like, it's this whole notion of original sin. Like, what's what's the original way to actually get this stuff? And historically, I've narrated... Well, it's got to be illegal. Clearly. (laughs) But historically, I've narrated that the illegality of this stuff originally has produced the chaos... (laughs) that exists even in the legal states currently oh, with these yeah. bizarro strains, Kem, Dog, Kush, insane. number four, you know. <laughs> no one can get any information about anything. In parallel to this, there is a movement which uses Amazon servers, very curiously, to create a genome project associated with cannabis. And I haven't dug too deeply into this, but this actually 
is a mapping of a variety of the strains and some indication of where these strains originally came from. My perspective associated with land races, historically, and this might have changed in the past however many months, but historically, has been that there is strong motivation to actually get access to land race strains that can be verified. Because if you're going to reconstruct anything medicinally or, you know, anything based in any degree of science, you need to know what you're talking about. So in order to do this, the only way to get this stuff is internationally. There is nothing within the US. The DEA, through the late 90s and early 2000s, went out of its way to completely eradicate any of the indigenous Californian land race companies. Some of the larger ones that were producing seeds for next to nothing. I mean, the whole notion that basically cannabis seeds should be like tomato seeds. You should go, you should buy, you know, a hundred for a couple of bucks. They should be basically omnipresent and it should be easily accessible. So the, the enterprises that were typically community collectives that worked in this life were the first groups to be targeted by the DEA. And they were completely and utterly obliterated. Their genetics were destroyed. The whole concept associated with this being scientifically based or in any way descriptive. And most importantly, these, these collectives created cannabis strains that were specifically suited to the area, like the light levels, the water, the humidity, the soil qualities, all these kind of things, which typically you need a few generations to get into. You know, if you're growing outside, yeah. Or even inside, because actually these things still affect are affected. You know, soil and water quality, you can't, unless you're doing like mass distillation and reagent re-adding and a variety of other things, oh, yeah, you're still going to be dealing with some of the organics in the space. Yeah. So th- these were systematically, and through the Clinton administration primarily, targeted and eliminated through the early Obama administration and the latter Bush administration, to the point where it's kind of curious that they did it. I mean, obviously they were doing it considerably more in the public than people dro- growing chemdog, OG, kush, what have you. But you now have this very curious thing, and really in the past, in the past couple of weeks, I have re-examined this whole space, because I had a kind of trajectory initially, I was going to do some learning through this period, and what I found through this period was, and I'd already gotten this information, but I confirmed this information, that the stuff that is available internationally is old, very old, and useless, effectively. And the whole thing based on the illegality and the mixing of, you know, what's legal and what's illegal, particularly associated with the international shipment of seeds, makes this thing almost impossible to do at this point. So am I really at a position of almost restart associated with thinking at this? What I'm thinking is this needs to start with a genetic analysis of everything that's out there. Well, that already exists. Okay, well, that's a good place to start. That's a good place to start if you then put the stuff if you grow stuff, you put that stuff back into the genetic analysis and confirm yeah, and com- what's yeah, going on. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, that would be well. That's all there is. That's the only data there is. Yeah. Apparently, is what's out there now. In parallel to this, which I've narrated a few recordings ago, there is also a m- movement associated with fundamentally cooking processes to extract the maximum, both in one sense kind of medicinal, but in another sense hallucinogenic property, irrespective of whether you're growing Mexican dirt weed or, you know, land race strain or chem dog OG kush. And reading through and watching the YouTube associated with this, although also Ahesavantis' book has a number of caveats on this, you begin to realise, and I have 
began to realise that a lot of the land race narrative can actually be readjusted through chemical processes, primarily cooking processes, to the point where the notion of a land race, although having historical significance, the land races are very difficult to cultivate, and they're very difficult to cultivate commercially. And they're very difficult to cultivate commercially within the time frames that the non-land race strains are cultivated. However, there are now all these other kind of chemistry analysis processes that enable basically the rebuilding or the regeneration of land race-like properties, irrespective of the kind of cannabis that you initially start with. And the more I read on this, the more I realize that actually it's considerably more complicated than the stuff that I had kind of predetermined through <laughs> long-standing conversations about yeah, yeah. And now <laughs> Most things turn out that way, yes, it seems mysteriously to enough. <laughs> The one thing I haven't done, quite intentionally, in large part through watching countless hours of YouTube video, including all the Emerald Cup, which is the local, like, advanced cannabis grower breeder uh, conference here, which is held at the um, the local fairground, or at least the largest fairground in the Bay Area. I've watched all that stuff, I've looked at the various participants, and I've realised that probably attending these things wouldn't give me any additional information, although they're relatively fascinating. So I've come to this very much from the perspective that I don't actually need to go and interact with the local folk. However, through, you know, through the past few months and the experiences I've had over the past few months, my perspective actually is that if I introduce myself to the local folk, I'm in a completely different position than dealing with the international illegality nonsense. Because a transaction that you have with a local, with the local legislation, is considerably better than a transaction you have with any international entity with regards to these things. So, based on this, something very coincidental has happened in the past couple of days. In fact, really the past week. There is a goat festival. In fact, it was originally pitched to me as a miniature goat festival that's being held in San Francisco this weekend. It's called Coachella, which is a play on words associated with Coachella. In order to go to the goat festival, we have to go to Daly City to get on the BART, I think, which goes up to the area in San Francisco where the goat festival is. Fortuitously, as I found out today, HempCon is also going to be in Daly City tomorrow. And through investigation, I found that a Southern Californian and a local seed merchant will be at HempCon. So I'm actually going to go to HempCon tomorrow, after going to the Goat Festival with my spiritual advisor, to see if any of this stuff locally actually makes sense, particularly associated with genetics. I've reviewed the two sellers online, they both seem to be selling OG chem dog number three, haze, days, you know, chicken scratch, what have you. But I want to see behind that if the people that are selling the seeds, if the people there have any understanding of like <laughs> land races and this cup, or whether they are just basically, and looking at their prices, my feeling is probably they're not going to be there, but maybe somewhere in the flux of people around this thing, I could strike up a conversation with someone. At least point them to a couple of Stone Ape episodes where we discuss this kind of stuff remotely coherently. I don't know, Heron, but I've kind of written off the international side of things. I've written off any kind of interstate descriptive side of things. And currently, yeah, I'm almost to the point where I'm ready to drop this whole experiment. It's been fascinating. 
the mm. local, an interesting and broad degree of local respect. And, you know, lots of people have been interested in the area for a variety of reasons. But this project, in the current legality, which was really part of my initial thinking, is beyond impossible. There are just so many, like, constraints and counter-constraints. And the one thing that I'm not going to deal with is any degree of jeopardy associated with my personal freedom. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, (laughs) this is too intellectual and cerebral to be something that is brought time before in jail a judge. For. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my yeah. experience in the past couple of weeks, although, you know, I've been through things like this previously, but my experience in the past couple of weeks seemed to indicate that I need to actually, although methods have worked up, in, up until now, I need to change my methods or at least move this thing into something that is, you know, in no way interactive with any entities in the medium term. Well, to be continued. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be advised. See what, to yeah, be what, yeah, what, how to proceed, you know? <laughs> I've just sort of given up on grass. I mean, I still smoke it. But you haven't renewed your license, have you? No, actually, I just did. Did I, you? Yeah, okay. I just did a couple of weeks ago, in fact. And, uh, and went out and replanted because my supply, because I, yeah, my supply bought a, like a half an ounce or maybe a whole ounce. I don't know, but it lasted me for a year. So. Gosh. Uh, and it finally ran out. So I went and renewed it and got a couple more things. And it's just, um, can you, you know, name I, the varieties that you picked up? Oh, well, then the, I don't think the names really are very meaningful. <laughs> I've got to agree with you. I, I don't think it makes one fucking bit of difference. <laughs> I, I, so, yeah. I mean, they've got a name, but I, I don't know what the hell that means, you know? Yeah. The, the, I got three different, four different strains. Yeah. Uh, you know, just to try to sample some things. And everyone agreed that um, super sour diesel mm-hmm. is uh, the, was what I'm looking for. And mm-hmm. It ain't what I'm looking for. Mm. So um, The thing about super sour diesel is the original genetics came from Amsterdam, and you can't get the original genetics in the U.S. They've completely lost the original genetics, which I would say... Sour diesel of the original genetics cultivated as they did in Amsterdam and the initial genetics that they came over may be something that you'd be really interested in. This super sour thing that they're offering, because this is one of the California seed initiatives that I'm going to meet with tomorrow, they now put explicitly on this, not sour diesel. (laughs) So when they call it super sour diesel, it's no way genetically related with the original strain, which I think actually, probably out of the variety of strains that have come out in the past 15 years... It's probably the kind of stuff that you should be smoking, but you can't actually get the original strain. Yeah, yeah. Well, in any case, yes. it's and they gave me so because it was I was a first time customer at this uh, thing. They gave me some edible stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and that was supposed to be good for four hits. Yeah. So I t- I took half of it. The and you first got a time. headache, no doubt. Pardon? You got a headache, no doubt. No, I got basically nothing. Yeah. You know, just, um... Yeah. yeah no, the edible stuff... And I, I speak, as a non-consumer, I speak as someone who just reviews the literature associated with this, but the edible stuff, which they recommend underdosing in, if you need to overdose in it to have the effects that yeah. it should have. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, well, it worked. I'd only ha- had edibles once before, 
many many years yeah, you ago. You talked about brownies. Yeah, brownies, and, and they were great. Yeah, Man, that was awesome. Yeah, but it took a long time to come on. Yeah, and uh, but boy, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just too damned expensive. You know, it's just. Well, this is the whole thing: is that the economics of it should be. I mean, edibles should be made out of refuse. And basically, it should be something where the edible component of cannabis, the cannabis industry, should be cheap, easily accessible. And the whole metering of it currently is just insane. Oh, yeah. yeah it's yeah. just insane. Yeah. Well, yeah. once the legal status gets squared away, then maybe that, you know. I guess my concern through help. this legal status business is that if you have circumstances where you don't, you, even with the numbers that they put on, I mean, if you look in Colorado or Washington State, and probably Oregon's coming up, they put all these numbers on there associated with various ca- cannabinoids and now terpenes and this kind of stuff. Yeah. But no one actually knows the underlying chemistry behind that. Yeah. And everything that's written about that seems to indicate that the doses that are provided at, wor- at worst, you know, will give people numbing headaches and at best, <laughs> you know, will be completely... Well, I think, again, this yeah. needs some real research, exactly. you know, because, yeah. I mean, it's always been my thing anyway, is that I, I don't pay any attention to anything these people tell me when I go in. No. They don't, you know, they can, they, they sit there and try to sound like experts, <laughs> like they know, oh, this is, well, you want this stuff here and this yeah. stuff will do that, and but this stuff over here, nah, you know. But for folks, for folks listening, and the reason that I got my cannabis card was the fact that I actually knew more more than the doctor and the people on duty associated with <laughs> well, the doctors don't know shit. About it. just I started they're talking just making they really, money. Exactly. That's all they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think I don't know. I mean, it's almost like, and this is the interesting thing about this guy in Nevada. This guy in Nevada says quite explicitly that the legislation and the legalization and the nonsense that is around this is explicitly designed to. Not trivialize, but just completely remove any of the historical learning that has been done through these plant substances. Yeah. And instead make it something that is big business and in no yeah. way yeah. associated Brand with that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, if anybody cares, though, anybody can start to make some sense out of it. You know, apply some real scientific. Well, the problem, efforts. the problem is that when you start applying real scientific elements to it, you start hitting the legal. Well, that's what I'm saying is, is that it, you have to get past that legal yeah. shit. You know, there yeah. has to be a, a free access to do some research. You know? yeah. yeah. And I think at that point, then there probably will people, be people who step forward and say, let's, let's check this out. Let's see what we got here. Mm. I let's have all- considered certainly over the next five to 10 years, you know, potentially creating something where this research could be done consistently. Yeah. And I think California has the ability, particularly within the tech sector, and the fact that the people mm. that are doing the genome mappings and all this kind of stuff are all based here, and all the kind of, and the, the nature of the capital intrinsically is here. Yeah, everybody smokes grass in California but, anyway, so. <laughs> however, the legal framework needs to be in place in order to make this thing occur. And it, it's yeah. curious that it appears almost there, and then you realize that there's this huge amount of legislation that's kind of ambiguous, particularly so the federal government can continue to, you know, yeah, yeah, federal, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It has to get rationalized yeah. so that uh, people can count on not going to jail. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a deal killer. <laughs> yeah, it's just petty yeah. nuisance. Yeah, yeah. 
You know, if you if you have a federal agency, and, you know, that's that is their idea. To, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly. Even create paperwork or additional nonsense yeah. or processing that needs to be in place. Then yeah. yeah, yeah. It's been driven historically by lawmakers. It's been driven historically by referendum votes, and the the flaws in this are in case law. It actually needs a new group of people, and there are a small group of lawyers that have forced you know, various cases through and created small fringes of case law that the federal government has progressively eroded. But it it requires actual case law to enact the kind of change that is needed. The referendums are cute. The referendums get things moving forward in a little way. But the muscle that is flexed in terms of the federal government, the only way that that can be negated, aside from, you know, massive change that... A few of these folk, like Jorge Salmante, says, look, when 30 of the 50 states have it legalised, or at least, yeah. you know, heavy medical in place, yeah. then the narrative has to change. Yeah. Until that happens, the federal thing is going to Well, apparently that is changing. It seems to me I read recently that the sentiment for yeah. legalising grass is just increasing enormously yeah. everywhere, and quite disturbing to some people. Well, <laughs> yeah, who knows who the presidential candidate will be, but unfortunately it looks like if there is... You know, uh, yeah, they're just not even going to talk about it. Though. Well, so, yeah, Rand they don't Paul want to is talking about it. He's, he's a, a state, re- really? Oh, okay. yeah. No, I mean he's a Republican. I don't agree with a lot of his politics, but there are certainly elements of his politics that are about pushing flush on some of this stuff. I don't yeah. trust a word the man says, but he is talking about it. Yeah. Well, I think again, these are state issues for now. Well, they're not actually. I mean, they appear to be state issues internally, but well, that's where federal... the action is, though. I well, mean, except the f- yeah. where the negative action is, it's all the federal government. Yeah. You know, no yeah. state government is shooting people's pets. It's the no. feds that come in and do that. <laughs> no. No, it's just the feds. Yeah. yeah. Well, in, in Europe, Richard Branson has stood up and started funding a variety of initiatives. It takes a, a similar group of billionaires in the US to start doing the same kind of thing. And it's interesting that Branson has come up behind this in Europe. Mm, good for him. So, yes. I didn't know about that. Yes. But marijuana initiative kind yeah. of things? Yeah, really? no, cool. particularly associated with boundaries. I mean, the thing, the thing that would deteriorate the uh, pernicious, you know, legislation in the U.S. against this relates to the breaking down of state boundaries. If Nevada could start testing cannabis in California and the movement of cannabis from California to Nevada, or if all of the Western states have legalization in place then the transportation of cannabis from state to state uh, should, okay. you know, yeah. when you start, then you start getting some of these erosions, which enables, yeah. you know, for example, Nevada to get round the flaws in their yeah. laws. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Anyway. Well, see, actually, you know, well, I don't really care, actually, as long as it's, yeah, I mean, the way it is now works for me, except that. Well, except it doesn't work for you. Except that it doesn't work for me. Yeah. yeah. But I'm not sure that that has anything to do with the drug anymore. It's interesting. I'm thinking actually. it may have something more to do with me. Well, no, I don't, I, I, mean, I don't know. Like I say, I don't with... respond to LSD. So, mm-hmm. uh, but you have historically responded to cannabinoids. Yeah. In yeah. But form, my so. body has probably changed over the years. I mean, I don't, I, I well, I just don't know. Exactly. I mean, you know, yeah, and unfortunately, right. even though we're in this kind of, medical thing you're still well, in a position everybody to else seems to rave about like this super sour diesel several people have told me yeah man that's just fucking crazy. because they remember the original generation of sour no no diesel. people have smoking the same stuff i'm smoking mm. 
and uh, maybe you're not smoking it in sufficient quantities. Well, then, then it's no good. <laughs> if, <laughs> but that's if because I, you have a recollection. I mean, that's because you have a recollection. No, listen, of, if it takes yeah. more than three hits, uh, it's skunk, it's shit. Again, you're mapping your. Prior. Well, I'm going by my experience where I used mm. to get with this stuff. Yeah. Two or three hits was quite enough. Thank you. Yes. And uh, if and if it takes more than that, I just end up feeling sort of drugged. Yes. You know? Different world, Harold. Yeah, and I'm not interested in, you know... You, being... you need cannabis that, you know, typically takes 16 to 20 weeks to actually mature as opposed to the 10 weeks that is required for contemporary Well, I don't, I don't, cannabis. I just don't know. See, that's the thing is I just don't know yeah. what, if, I don't know if there's any cannabis out there no, that I've, will do what it used to do. Maybe it, things it have just exists. changed. In fact, well, it may exist. Maybe yeah. I'm not the same. I don't know. It's curious, actually, because I found through precursory searching through the wheat, an individual who has been going back to Vietnam era veterans and collecting seeds from the 1960s in order to get access to those genetics once again. Mm -hmm. Very interesting project. I'm following it. Mm. Who knows? He's actually gotten them to sprout and grow, but the problem is that all the existing growing techniques are all based around this stuff that, you know, flowers and is sellable within 10 weeks, not the stuff that takes half a year in order to grow. So. Well, yeah, well, that's why we need to do some research here. But yeah. I, I've just it really sort of given up on it, you know. Yeah. And I'm not even all that interested. I'm still sitting on a couple hundred milligrams of DMT that I haven't done, you know. Yes. Uh, actually, my life is sort of interesting enough. I'm not sure I need, you know, to open up a whole new can of worms yeah. to, you know, when I'm trying to figure out what to do with the old can of worms still. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> My perspective on this has changed in the past four years. It's changed through our discussion. And in large part, it came in 2000, I think probably in 2010. Maybe it was 2012. I can't recall. It might have been 2012. When there was a full legalization initiative within California and seeing the kinds of entities that went up against it, it was almost a short list of every entity that I've ever opposed intellectually. <laughs> and when I realized that that was actually what the breakdown was, because historically my narrative had been that actually cannabis seriously fucked up my generation in Australia. It demotivated them. It... um you know, it made them non-interactive, and certainly it softened a lot of their radical views that I think could have been used quite mm. curiously, and now they're just kind of well-educated, integrated yeah. cogs in the machine, yeah. as opposed to, you know, intellectual Troublemakers. Yes. <laughs> I, I found this in particular with a group of women, but also a number of my male friends as well, because I thought, certainly amongst the women, it just completely pacified them and meant that you know, the trajectory that was going on in my life, they were just in some completely, like, you know, they started dating, like, junkies and, like, went in a variety of different directions. <laughs> so, but however, in seeing that experience and in living through that, I now realise that actually there are a variety of factors there. The people who are against it are so heavily, again, everything I'm in favour of, yeah. that this is one of these few polarizing topics that I feel I mean I'm considering actually giving a, a good chunk of money to normal yeah. because this is an issue that I feel very 
strongly about. It's a historical issue associated with my childhood experiences. You think they're actually doing anything of any value? That's exactly why I'm not. That's that's the <laughs> that's the analytical downside, which I'm probably going to put it into yeah. trying to get kids with computers locally. Or yeah, that sounds more yeah. productive. Yeah. yeah. But you never yeah, know. Yeah, the political process, I don't have much faith in that, that yeah. normal political process. Yeah. As my life is failing here, I'm pretty well out of time. I, I did want to talk a little bit about Final Draft. We did joke about it. But um, I've been watching... How does it differ from just a, a word processor? Well, certainly the accounts that I've read of it, and it has a variety of... Let, let me take a step back. I got a grant nearly 20 years ago now, yeah, almost 20 years ago now, from the Australian Film Commission, which doesn't exist anymore. The Australian Film Commission used to give grants to filmmakers primarily in Australia, but also occasionally software developers. There's now an entity called, I think, CineSound or something like that. Screen Sound. Anyway, there's some other entity that's like the Australian Film Commission in Australia. Two of my early works, which kind of meld together in Field of Chaos, are basically set in Australia. And I thought, if this entity can give grants of up to a million Australian dollars, which is about 800,000 US dollars, just based on scripts alone... <laughs> Maybe you should write a script. Exactly. <laughs> and yes. I have a curious... I've come to a point in my career, a curious intersection, where I also work for a company that funds films. Mm. So, if I don't take this as as like an apex of potential ability to do stuff now, um, it's, you know, okay. I've, I've got to take it seriously. Yeah, yeah, and Final Draft is... Uh, the other thing that I've a, a done way through to this do that. period yeah. of time is, uh, on Netflix, for now, currently, there's a series of interviews with directors, including Francis Ford Coppola. I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that are big directors. A lot of them are kind of more schlocky directors. In fact, it's actually from that. It's actually from listening to the more schlocky directors, where I start to think to myself, these people, luck is a good portion of what they do. Like, <laughs> the, the implicit ability to get some deeper understanding of narrative or all this kind of motivating expression stuff isn't really with them, and they've been remarkably successful in this area. I mean, Coppola yeah. is a different breed. There are a few that are different yeah, breeds. Yeah. But, no luck. <laughs> you can't yeah. beat luck, man. <laughs> so I kind of thought to myself, I've got a few, like, you, you always look at the dice that you have in front of you, and a few of these dice are already kind of set in my direction. The people that are now in the equivalent of the Australian Film Commission in Australia, pff, who knows? I mean, I've, I've told and censored previously on Stone 8 my Australian Film Commission representative who did a coke deal on the phone while I was in his office. So they're a curious group. But, you know, they probably have Netflix envy, and they also do analysis that enables, once you have one of their letters of recommendation, it basically raises your script. So there's a kind of a game that one can play to raise the value of a script through this. And I have, well, I have two existing novellas, and I have additional script, and I have a few other ideas that I can put very quickly into this final draft thing. And who knows? Yeah. Why not roll the dice? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I am at such a... It's become clear, even more clear to me just recently again, how, how the work ahead of me is about a, some a kind of internal integration that I need to do. Yeah. That um, I've got all the pieces in place. If I just knew what the fuck I was going to do, yeah. I could move immediately. 
but but there are pieces inside that just have not come together in a way that I can do that yet. But but my sense is that that's again what what's happening. Uh, the last couple books I've read have been really helpful in that in that way, and just sort of seeing how other people yeah. have have worked through and and again how it's all individuals. That's another thing. I mean, I, I've always known that, but again, re- reading this, realizing it's it's really about who you meet. Who you talk to? In parts, I mean, my perspective is having spent a period of time with, you know, Wozniak, and having spent a period of time with a variety of different engineers that share qualities with Wozniak, there is that kind of apex of the right people getting together at the right place. But also, some of this needs to be self-motivated, and as we were talking about suicide, I also think... The ability to take something and just throw it out there. I mean, you know. Yeah. No, that all of that counts. Yeah. It's just that... Um, and the ability historically yeah. to have done that and the ability to kind of continue to return to that pattern is something where, true, it can be taught, true, it can be motivated through reading books, but ultimately it requires a sense of... And it's curious, actually, because I've been thinking about this with this two to seven minute podcast, with is this idea just too silly and too self-centered and will people actually enjoy it? And I always return to this notion of what model rail radio was through that, and the fact that it's created this entity which is completely distinct from my original premise associated with it. It's become a thing in and of itself, and these things do as they're kind of projected out. Yeah. Um, so oh, they can. That, they don't well, always. They don't always, but when they <laughs> succeed, they do. Yeah. To a certain yeah. extent. So, yeah, as I've returned to this topic with the various listeners that have emailed me periodically. I have my own views associated with whether or not you're going to do these things, but there's a kind of point where you're either cutting bait or you're fishing, and your bait selection is extreme, Heron. I mean, you have bait that, uh, you know, has marinated, you have bait that is fossilized, you have bait. Oh, I've got, all, you, I've got plenty of bait. You've dissected a wide variety I'm not worrying about that. Yeah, like I say, yeah, I've got, the, I've got most of the pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. Uh, there, there's something still missing, though. Well, you see, but the point is, and we've returned to this periodically, yeah, yeah. my perspective is the thing that's missing is actually in the doing. Like, you won't actually get the thing that's missing until you actually do no, the doing. No, there's, no, and I understand that. That's why I've been going to uh, meetups recently. Mm. Oh, yeah. how has that gone? Well, I'm going to another one uh, next week, mm-hmm. Tuesday. I'm looking forward to that, and and I'm getting closer to starting my own. So, uh, what have you learned through the meetups you've attended so far? Um, I'm not really sure what I can if I if I can say what I've learned. Um, have you refined your view of firstly the participants that oh, come to meetups, well, but I'm- also what the form is about? Well, it's, it's, it's really about whatever the hell I decide it's about. That's one of the things I'm realizing is that it, uh, yeah. when, when, once I set a date and I write a, a, a description for it, somebody's going to show up at some place and what I do is going to determine how it goes. Yes. So, uh, the question is, that's what I was saying. I, I need to back it up. I need to, I need to be ready in case I get a responsive audience, especially on this, child you know raising conscious children mm. idea i mean I, I have a sense that that could really generate a lot of people there are a lot of people might show up for something like that over mm. over a period of time maybe not i don't know mm. but if they do and they're actually interested i need to be able to have something to offer them 
you know, I can't it's just we have a conversation and say, well, gee, thanks for coming, everybody. <laughs> See you next, you know, two weeks and mm. we'll talk some more. No, I've, I've got to have a program. Yeah. Ready. And, and I don't. Well, yeah. What motivates the creation of that program? Well, um, <laughs> what can I say? Everything. I mean, that's, uh, but at some stage, yeah. I mean, this is why I did this whole two to seven yeah. minute podcast thing is at some stage, you've got to do something. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. And you yeah, don't really absolutely. understand when you start, you've got to do a few of them. No, no, I, yeah, then, no yeah. I understand. Yeah. I, I know, but, I, but I have to have in my mind, in order, before I get started, I have to have at least a possible trail to follow mm. that, that may not be perfect, but it, it, it's a fault, something I can do. If, if people respond to it, I need to be able to follow up. I don't want to be left with, uh, well, geez, I, I don't really have anything for you to do. I know you're, thanks for the hundred bucks, but, mm. <laughs> you well, know. It's interesting, actually, associated with the question of vision. Because what you find through this, and we've been putting this stuff out here for, you know, four and a half odd years, is that when people come to it, they go through a progression, they have an understanding, and then some of them will come to the point of, well, what, what about vision? What about sight? How does that affect the language? Yeah. Yeah. My perspective is actually through these discussions, you and I have workshopped maybe half a dozen of these kind of ideas mm, that come yeah. to people in a kind of intermediate level. Oh, so yeah. I, I don't necessarily see the problem where someone in the kind of initial phases of understanding this will come to you with a question that you haven't previously no, experienced. No, that's not a problem. Online. No, yeah. the problem is to, is to have a program yeah. in place yeah. that they can just jump right into and start with uh, phase A and then go on to phase B. But you're always going just through the way people learn and the way you have created this thing in kind mm -hmm. of general discourse, you're always going to come to a point, and it may be in two years, it may be in five years, it may be in three months, hopefully it's not mm -hmm. three months, where you have a group that have learned what you have to learn. I mean, ah, they, and they'll, and that'll be, you're right. Yeah. And they'll move on to whatever uh, they're going to do with Certainly. what they So the fear of that occurring, the fear of the question that you can't answer because they're up to a point where. Oh, no, that, no, it's not because I can't answer it. It's because that's not my job. Well, that's. You know, they learn what they had to learn from me and then exactly. they take it out there and do something with Is it. Is that a, you, you've characterized that in our conversation yeah. tonight as being a problem. And I don't. Well, no, that's not a that's problem a at all. Yeah. No, that's that's the idea. Is yeah. I don't want them hanging around. I want them to come through and learn what they've got to learn, yeah. and then go away and go apply that shit. So now, now some of them now now again, yeah. there are some of my hoping will become evangelists. Certainly, you know, who it'll make a huge major difference yeah. in their perceptions of themselves in the world. But I think you've just but answered your problem conversation. I mean, we've just yeah. talked through your concern associated with what the problem will be. Uh, no, the problem is if someone uh, comes to the meetup and says, this is awesome, now what? I don't have a, an answer for now what right now. Can you construct the meetup in a form, either where you video it or where you take information from it, where you can do this over a series <laughs> of these, where you can, I mean, there is a kind of logical progression in the stuff that you do. And I don't actually think the now what thing is a real problem. I mean, I think it's an intellectual problem that you have at this well, let me Okay, let me, let me let, tell you what I'm thinking about mm -hmm. here. I mean, and I think we've talked about this before. My sense is I'm probably going to use TeamSpeak. And, and, um, but let, let's be clear here. My perspective yeah. is the group that cr you create. Yeah. We'll define that instantly. And TeamSpeak may be immediately eliminated. 
You may go to Skype. Well, I may, may go, go to, to yeah, talk yeah, I, may go to, I may do yeah. something else. You don't know what it's going to be. I don't know why, yeah. but there's no reason why, uh, there's absolutely no reason TeamSpeak won't work. It works absolutely wonderfully. It's a great piece of software. I think it's a technical obstacle for a variety of folks. Well, you, you may, it yeah. may be, yeah. uh, uh, but it's a minor tech, uh, technical obstacle. I mean, anybody, anyone who can't figure that out, Probably doesn't belong in my class. Well, I've never used TeamSpeak, and we've been able to. If you ever tried it, I don't need to. I mean, okay, my perspective right. with I, I got it. I got it. But if but, that was, if you want to learn this, mm-hmm. then that's the game. Except it hasn't been, and it hasn't been historically. And a bunch of people, through just your and my conversation, have mm-hmm. learnt this enough to interact and ask independent and intermediate questions based on this. On- so. I'm I'm lost. I'm not quite sure what you're talking about. So the thing is, I want to have a place where these people and I can meet and talk mm-hmm. in, in in a group. Mm-hmm. Okay, as a course. Mm-hmm. Okay, so whether it's TeamSpeak is sort of irrelevant. That's the plan. It might be Skype. It Certainly. could be something else. I don't really give a shit. Certainly. But the point is, is I have to have the curriculum ready. Because if if I have a meetup next month mm-hmm. and thirty people show up mm-hmm. and ten of them want to uh, want to do something about it, are impressed enough that mm-hmm. they're willing to meet once a week online to mm-hmm. do, you know to do exercises and go on and do things, and I I want to be ready to do okay, that. Okay, so let's look at this this okay. this interaction that you would have with people mm-hmm. once a week. Yeah. Would go on for what at most three hours, probably. Right? Um, probably. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe yeah, two something hours, like one that. hour, two yeah, hours. Yeah, something like that. that. Yeah. Okay. yeah, somewhere around in there. Yeah. You work at most 16 hours a week, maybe at worst, potentially 20 hours if things go terribly, terribly wrong, but really 16 <laughs> hours. Yeah. So yeah. you've got three hours, you've got roughly 20 hours, and quite comfortably, you've got a bunch of additional time. Oh, and, i got plenty of time. And That's the additional thing about this is, actually, historically, you've designed coursework, and you've done this kind of stuff. Yeah. And at most, because you already have the information, you're just working out a way of framing the information for this group of people, I would estimate yeah. this would probably take you, let's say, double the time. Let's say six hours. Maybe at worst, nine hours. Nine hours for what? To, to work out what your weekly coursework for this group would be. Oh, I Which see. you could do in oh, parallel. Oh, ah, okay, I got you, yeah, yeah. I don't see the obstacle here, Harry. No, and you're right, I've already, actually, I've already done that. Exactly. In a sense, I, 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 I do more or less know. Again, I'm not quite sure what's missing. That You're right, that's a good... I don't think there's anything missing. I think what's missing is you actually doing it. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we do this constantly yeah. in terms of our interactions. Yeah. yeah. And this evening I've tried to kind of dig a little bit deeper into this, but yeah. look, I get emails periodically that they're dropping <laughs> off. People are finally learning associated with how I can motivate you to actually get this stuff started. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I mean, my perspective is all I can do is satirize. Yeah. Well, no, no, I, don't, I have no problem. I'm glad you're doing it. Um, I don't, I have no I have no response to it you know I, I all I know is what I feel and and um and my sense is there's something missing that I need to answer before I can do that now what that is I don't know and and what a my sense is it's it's very close that it's all sort of crystallizing and um and that it's going to just sort of take its time. I, there's not much I feel that I can do about it. But I'm content 
to sort of trust the process. It's worked so far. <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling good and healthy. If it takes another 10 years, I don't really care. I'm happy. See, the thing is, I'm, I'm not dissatisfied with what's going on right now. So my homework for next week is to announce a two to seven minute daily podcast, which will no doubt be launched by next week, mm-hmm. to give a humorous review of Gochella and to give a humorous review of 30 minutes in HempCon trying to find additional seed scholars. Three bits of homework that I have. Heron, your uh, responsibility is just to uh, to do your usual banter. <laughs> With that, well, let me think about that for a second here. Yeah. Um, yeah, you may be right. You may be right. <laughs> With that, as my voice left the building 40 minutes ago, I'm going to say good night. Good night, Tom. Talk to you in a week. Take care. Bye.